0: Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit, hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit saymythyroid.com forward peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric And in this Q&A episode, I am going to answer the question, can oxalates affect thyroid health? For this question, I'll be referring to a couple of blog posts from the Natural Endocrine Solutions website, and I'll make sure to include a link to these in the show notes, which you can access by visiting savemythyroid.com. So I'd now like to dive into a couple of articles I've written related to oxalates. The first one I published on April 24th, 2017, the title Oxalates, Kidney Stones, and Thyroid Health. And so I just start off chatting about oxalates. What are oxalates? They're small molecules that have the ability to form crystals, which in turn can deposit in different areas of the body, including the thyroid gland, and that they can form just about anywhere in the body. When they do, can impair the function of the organ or glands. And I then mentioned the relationship between oxalates and kidney stones. A kidney stone is a hard mass that is developed from crystals that separate from the urine within the urinary tract. And when someone develops a kidney stone, this usually is caused by high oxalates. And then I go into some of the different causes of elevated oxalate levels, specifically four of the main reasons why people have high oxalates. So the first one I list is overgrowth of fungi yeast. That includes candida, Aspergillus, which is a mold, and then other types of yeast and mold that produce oxalic acid. The second cause I list is eating foods high in oxalates. Now, arguably, this is probably the biggest source of oxalates. And, you know, I just mentioned how I used to load my smoothies with spinach and berries, which are high in oxalates. And now, these days, I cut down a great deal on the spinach. I actually don't add any spinach at all. I just use lettuces and arugula, which is lower in oxalates. So like romaine, green leaf lettuce, red leaf lettuce, romaine lettuce, arugula, again, collard greens is another one. Spinach is out. Swiss chard is out. And kale isn't so – I'll, I'll try to remember to talk about kale Shortly, but let's move on to the third reason why people have elevated oxalate levels having problems with oxalate metabolism. So, there could be some genetics, people could have a genetic predisposition for developing higher amounts of oxalates. And I mentioned the organic acids test from Great Plains Laboratory, which tests for certain metabolites, including oxalic acid and glycolic acid. So, the oxalic acid. If that's elevated, that doesn't mean someone has a genetic predisposition, but if the glycolic acid is elevated, it could mean that someone does have a genetic predisposition. And then I I listed as a fourth cause taking very high doses of vitamin C, and then Below that, I put a note saying that after I published the article, another practitioner sent an article to discuss why vitamin C does not cause kidney stones, and that Dr. William Shaw of Great Plains Laboratory wrote an article which mentioned that vitamin C can break down to form oxalates, but in adults, this doesn't happen until the amount exceeded four grams per day. But there's a book by Sally Norton called Toxic Superfoods. It's a new book that came out, a really good book when it comes to oxalates and I'm hoping to have Sally on the podcast sooner than later. If I do, we'll talk even more about oxalates. But she does mention vitamin C, and she recommends lower doses of vitamin C, like 250 milligrams per day. And I will admit that since COVID, since the pandemic started a few years ago, I've been taking vitamin C more regularly. Like I never really took vitamin C in the past, but I can't say I take it every single day, but especially during like the winter months would load up on vitamin C. And when I say load up, not like thousands of milligrams, but typically like a thousand milligrams of vitamin C per day. But she does not recommend that. So if I end up interviewing her, that's something we can definitely chat about. And then something else a lot of people won't want me to bring up, but it's actually part of the 2017 Article I wrote about collagen increasing oxalates. A lot of people add collagen powder to their smoothies. And admittedly, I'm still one of them, even after listening to Sally's book. I listened to it on audiobook. I do plan on getting a physical copy as well. But she mentions collagen as well. Now, it doesn't seem like it's an extremely high source of oxalates, but I still think she recommends not adding it to smoothies or just not having it. And so I mentioned here that. Collagen itself isn't high in oxalates, but it's high in something called hydroxyproline, which is an amino acid. And this in turn can lead to the formation of oxalates. And so that's something just to think about. And as I mentioned, when I interview her, I'll bring this up, but you could also check out her book, Toxic Superfoods, and hear what she has to say about it even before I interview her. And then I discuss some of the common symptoms of having high oxalate levels Some of them include sandy stools, bladder irritability, pain on urination, urethral irritation. So those are the first four. So if you're having any type of urinary problems, it doesn't mean that it's definitely related to oxalates, but something to consider. Also, she does mention that oxalates can impair the kidney, lead to kidney damage so if you do a comprehensive metabolic panel and there's a marker EGFR, so if you see EGFR on the lower side, you want it to be higher, but if it's on the lower side or depressed, that means that there's problems with the kidney. And again, it doesn't mean 100% is related to oxalates, but you might want to consider following more of a low oxalate diet if that is the case. I will also say that What hypothyroidism, lower thyroid hormone levels, that also will impair kidney function. So if you have lower thyroid hormone levels, even if someone has hyperthyroidism, but they're taking large dose of antithyroid medication, that could push them towards the hypo side and that EGFR could be lower. So we got to consider that too. I don't want people to see an EGFR that's low on the comprehensive metabolic panel and think that it's definitely due to oxalates. The next symptom, eye pain. And of course... A lot of people with Graves' disease have thyroid eye disease, and it doesn't mean that there's a connection necessarily between the oxalates and and thyroid eye disease, but just something to consider. If someone is eating a lot of oxalates and they're experiencing eye pain, maybe it's not thyroid eye disease, but it's due to the oxalates, or maybe it's a combination of the high oxalate foods and the thyroid eye disease. Some other symptoms, body aches, burning feeling in muscles fibromyalgia like discomfort so really any type of pain muscle pain joint pain again doesn't mean it's related to oxalates but something to consider moodiness and irritability tendon pain trigger point tenderness and then i list some of the foods high in oxalates if you want more detail on this definitely read sally norton's book toxic superfoods but spinach on top of the list also, put nuts, especially almonds. So, she mentions almonds and cashews. And I mean, most nuts are higher in oxalates, but especially almonds and cashews, soy, peanuts, raspberries and blackberries, Swiss chard, beets, sweet potatoes. For those following an autoimmune paleo diet or autoimmune protocol, I realize some of these foods are included. Spinach is allowed, raspberries and blackberries are allowed, Swiss chard, beets, sweet potatoes. So I'm not saying that you need to completely eliminate these. Now, again, if you were to read her book, or again, she might say this if I interview her, you know, she very well might say no sweet potatoes, absolutely no sweet potatoes, no beets, no raspberries, blackberries. I'm not sure at this point, I guess you could say, because I mean, the thing is, I want to mention here is there are so many different diets out there and I'm not saying oxalates, I mean, they can't cause harm. I'm not saying that because they definitely can cause problems, but you could just drive yourself crazy and end up eliminating just about everything if you, I mean, between the lectins and the other compounds like nightshades, and then you hear things about eggs. And I mean, again, before you know it, you could be eliminating like 95% of the foods or 99% of the foods. So right now, I can't say that I am going to tell people to strictly avoid sweet potatoes, as well as, you know, I mean, raspberries, blackberries, I mean, you could eat blueberries, cranberries are lower, not easy to find cranberries, unless it's around Thanksgiving, that's when I get my frozen cranberries, strawberries, they seem to be a little bit higher. But who knows if I interview her, maybe she'll convince me or convince people listening to cut out the sweet potatoes, but I'm not at that point yet. So the spinach, I definitely don't add spinach to my smoothies. I'm not saying I never eat spinach, but as far as adding to my smoothies, I don't. And same thing, I do eat nuts. I just try to minimize the nuts that I'm eating. And then there actually is another list. I, I came across another list that showed eight foods that caused a significant increase in urinary oxalate excretion. And that's spinach, rhubarb, beets, nuts, chocolate, tea, wheat bran, and strawberries. So nobody wants to hear chocolate as far as being high in oxalates, but that is true. Again, I can't say I've completely given up my dark chocolate. So something to think about, but I'm being honest. I don't eat like a half a chocolate bar every day, half a dark chocolate bar every day. It's still like a small square or rectangle, depending on the bar I have. So I wanted to bring that up. And then tea, herbal tea, she said, are not high in oxalates, but black tea is. And then green tea, that's something I need to ask her or, or see. There is an accompanying PDF, which I've looked at, but I haven't really seen if it lists the levels of green tea as far as oxalates, which is something to think about because I do have a cup of green tea usually in the morning, and then I have a few cups of herbal tea. And then I mentioned some conditions associated with high oxalates, kidney stones, autism, oxalate arthropathy, fibromyalgia, and then thyroid health. I mentioned that a few different studies show that calcium oxalate crystals can deposit in the thyroid gland. And that one study detected calcium oxalate crystals in 79 of 100 thyroid glands of routine autopsies, so almost 80%. And then another study detected calcium oxalate crystals in 19 out of 20 adult thyroid glands. So what is that? That's 90, 95%. And then one study showed that the highest prevalence of these crystals was in nodular goiters, 87.9%, and only a 25% prevalence in those with Graves' disease. And then I mentioned that unlike kidney stones, most gallstones are not caused by calcium oxalates, although sometimes oxalates can play a role in their formation. And then I jump into testing for oxalates and mentioned the organic acid test from Plains Laboratory, how they measure a few oxalate metabolisms, so oxalic, glyceric, and glycolic. And I will also mention that, according to Sally Norden, this test can give false negatives. So, if someone has elevated oxalate levels, which was the case with me when I first did my very first organic acid test in 2016, my oxalic levels were high, and that's when I cut out the spinach from my smoothies. And then I retested the levels and the levels were good the second time. But what she's saying is that the false negatives are common because I did cut out the spinach, which was very high, but I still continued eating nuts. I mean, I did reduce the nuts as well, but you're never going to completely cut out the oxalates, but probably still was eating a higher oxalate diet at the time. And still probably now it's not as low as Sally Norton would recommend, especially working on a little bit more after to listening to her book. But like I said, I have certain things I still haven't eliminate and don't know if I will, but maybe if I interview her, she'll convince me to eliminate those. And then as far as how to lower oxalate levels, obviously, you want to reduce your intake of high oxalate foods. You want to address any yeast or fungi overgrowth. Consider supplementing with vitamin B6. So I mentioned how there's an enzyme called alanine glycooxalate aminotransferase, or AGT, which is involved in a breakdown of oxalates and is dependent on vitamin B6. And then another thing I mentioned, supplement with calcium and magnesium citrate and consider drinking lemon juice. And these all can help to neutralize oxalates in the urine. And citrate helps to prevent the formation of kidney stones by binding to calcium oxalate crystals and prevent crystal growth. Also, I mentioned supplement with arginine and omega-3 fatty acids, as they can help reduce the deposition of oxalate crystals while reducing oxidative damage. And I include some research studies with this as well in this article supplement with conjugated bile acids and stay well hydrated, of course. And then I also asked a question, can probiotic supplements shrink kidney stones? As one study looked at a range of bifidobacteria and lactobacillus species determined the impact of oxalate degradation. And the study showed that 11 of the 18 lactobacillus species degraded the oxalates, whereas none of the 13 bifidobacterium species tested were effective. There are specific bacteria that break down oxalates but lactobacillus species again it doesn't I guess it didn't list a specific strain here and then I'll just quickly mention my other blog post five things to know about oxalates and thyroid health from May 24th 2018 And I mentioned the different sources of oxalates. So there's definitely a lot of overlap in this. I actually didn't go into vitamin C here, though I focused on food sources of oxalates and overgrowth of fungi and then problems with cell metabolism, so genetics. And then I also mentioned how oxalates can directly affect thyroid health. So that was the second thing to know. And then the third thing to know, organic acids testing can detect the presence of oxalates. But as I mentioned, false negatives are possible and according to sally maybe even common and consuming calcium and magnesium citrate right before meals can help to prevent oxalate absorption so that was the fourth thing to know and then the fifth thing to know is that cooking is not a solution for a high oxalate food so this is important because someone might think well if i just let's say if i cook spinach if i boil spinach that will decrease the oxalate levels And here I mentioned, this is where I got from attending one of the workshops at Great Plains Laboratory. They mentioned while cooking spinach will reduce the amount of oxalates, which I'm not sure if Sally Norton agrees with, but they said at the workshop that cooking spinach will reduce the amount of oxalates. But either way, it still won't be low enough to consume if you're following a low oxalate diet. It's still going to be considered very high oxalate. So really... You just wanna, for the most part, avoid spinach or at least large amount of spinach. Like I wouldn't have a spinach smoothie on a daily basis or a salad with a lot of spinach on a daily basis. And then I just mentioned other things to know about oxalates and action steps to take if you have high oxalates. Step number one, gradually make the transition to a low oxalate diet. So I don't talk about oxalate dumping here, but she mentions in her book. But again, you don't want to, ideally, you don't want to abruptly cut out the oxalates. Now, I did do it abruptly with the spinach. I just, when I saw the high oxalates, I just stopped eating spinach because I didn't know any better and then just added other leafy greens into my smoothie. And then step number two, if you tested high for fungi, whether it's yeast overgrowth or you have a mold issue, then address this. Step number three, consider supplementing with vitamin B6. Step number four, take calcium and magnesium citrate when consuming foods higher in oxalates. And step number five, consider taking high-dose probiotics, which I don't think she mentioned, I don't think Sally mentioned in her book, but again, if I interview her, I'll try to remember to ask her that question. And that is really what I wanted to cover about oxalates. So once again, my goal is not to convince you to avoid all oxalates because that's not going to happen. I'm not even trying to convince you at this point to overreact, and, or at least what I would consider overreacting. Sally Norton may say not it wouldn't be overreacting to cut out the sweet potatoes and really anything high in oxalates, although she would say also to do it gradually, not just like cut everything out. So even if you did decide to do that, you want to take it slow. But really just bringing awareness is my goal because if you're following, let's say, an AIP diet or even a paleo diet, those are challenging diets to follow, especially AIP. So if someone's following AIP. And now on top of this, you hear, wait, I can't eat sweet potatoes. I can't eat certain berries. I can't eat beets. I, I mean, sweet potatoes is really big for a lot of people. And then spinach will come to a surprise for some people listen to this. So like I said, the spinach, the Swiss chard, I would say avoid those because there there are plenty of substitutes. So sweet potatoes and plantain, she also mentions being high in oxalates, I believe. So yeah, definitely check out her book, I would say, Toxic Superfoods. But like I said, I'm hoping to have her on the podcast. And if I have her on the podcast, of course, listen to that episode as well. So that is my response to the question, can oxalates affect thyroid health? So they definitely can affect thyroid health directly. I didn't go into everything about oxalates, like supposedly they could also affect the gut. And I'm not sure about like the intestinal barrier. I got the impression that they can, but something I would ask Sally Norden if I do interview her, but definitely can affect thyroid health directly. And it doesn't seem like ultrasounds pick it up either, because my question was why wouldn't we see it on an ultrasound, but it's not always easy to detect. So I should mention that. I'm pretty sure she mentioned in her book. I I know she also had a presentation. That's how I found out about her. I saw the presentation. I think she went over it, or I know she went over it during the presentation. So I, I forgot how much detail she went over that in her book. But again, definitely that I will bring up to her. I'll talk to her about the effects on the thyroid and as far as imaging, what type of imaging would pick it up. And also worth mentioning, too, besides the Toxic Superfoods book by Sally Norden, if you're on Facebook, there also is a really good Facebook group, Trying Low Oxalates, TLO. I'm a member of that. You might want to consider joining that if you want more information. But as usual, I hope you found this Q&A episode to be super valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.